0: Well, welcome, welcome. If you don't know who I am, my name is Mike and this is my wife Becky. Uh, We have the privilege of pastoring here at LCF and we're so glad that you could join us this morning, either in the building or online. Should we give a little hello to everyone online at this camera up here? Give them a little wave, you see at home. And last week we began this brand new campaign. Campaign is our our title for our series, simply called Connectivity. As Mal really well illustrated there, our connectivity to God as people here on earth is so important. And we opened last week sharing a quote from Nikki Gumble the founder of Alpha who simply said this. He said prayer is the most important activity of your life. And I said so often when we read something like that we know it's right in theory but then when we get home And if you've got kids or a family or you just get in the hustle and bustle of life, you start to feel so guilty because actually you know the prominence and importance of prayer and speaking to God. But so often our prayers in our heads don't sound like the practice of what we should be doing. And it's even worse when you come to church and you're sat next to someone who is praying so eloquently and amazingly and revival's happening and you're just thinking about the chicken in the oven and what time is church going to finish? But actually, when we get real about it, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Prayer is a connection that we have with God. And last week, I used this this illustration, and it's a, maybe a little bit irreverent, but go with me. I took you back through the life of Mike a couple of weeks where I was at this conference up north, somewhere in Derbyshire. Anything north of Birmingham to me is like the badlands. Okay, so it's somewhere in Derbyshire, and I'm sat and I'm starting to feel really ill, and I milked it. I milked it. I milked it with my friend, but. Ultimately, what I needed to do was contact Becky because Becky just always makes it better. And I said last last week that's not because I'm a great husband, it's just because I milk it and she falls for it. So I'm trying desperately to connect with Becky and say, Becky, I need you to come and get me. I'm feeling unwell. But actually, I was found in this dead spot of connectivity. I couldn't get a signal to get through to her, and I had to brave it out all by myself for about 12 hours. With another person in my hotel room, feeling ill, feeling sick, with a headache, feeling nauseous, until I could finally get through to Becky, who drove all the way, by the way, up to Derbyshire, to come and pick me up. Isn't she a good wife? <clears throat> but in that moment of feeling nauseous and headachey, I just felt really that this illustration connects with sometimes my prayer life, and maybe your prayer life too. When we need God the most, sometimes it can feel the hardest to hear him. And we're speaking and we're praying our guts out and we're sweating on the floor saying, please God. But ultimately it feels like we're hitting a brick wall. So last week we looked at a few dead spots. And we landed by the place where actually when we approach God is probably the most formational and important part of prayer. Because for so many, if you go out into the world, if you just go and speak to a colleague or a friend and you talk about God and you talk about prayer... Actually, their view of God isn't the view of God that we have, because many people see God as this cosmic policeman or this judge in the sky who is desperately watching you in the minuteness of your life to mess up so he can, like the ancient gods, you send a thunderbolt to smite you. But actually, when we look at scripture, that isn't the God that is presented at all. And we took, uh, we took a little journey back a few thousand years and we looked at Jesus. We looked how Jesus prayed. And I said there was two words that changed everything forever in Jesus' prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. The Catholics call it the Our Father. Those two words changed everything. That's how he opens his prayer. He opens with Our Father. And I said last week, this was revolutionary at the time, because the disciples and the Jewish people listening to him, they understood God as powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, mighty. He's the God who parted the Red Seeds, who sent the ten plagues in Egypt, who flooded the earth in Genesis, but they didn't know him as father. And actually, if you look at all Jewish literature, all of the rabbis, God is talked about in the Bible as being the father of a people. But the only rabbi to ever talk about God as a personal father, as an Abba, is Jesus. And it changed everything forever. And I posed last week, it's only when we have the correct view of God as our father, can we then approach him properly as sons And as daughters. And I heard a phrase once, it was this. It's a preacher probably 10-15 years ago, and he said, God doesn't have any nephews or nieces or grandchildren, He only has children. You're not removed, you're not like you know the weird cousin that we all have in our family. You are a son and daughter. And it's very easy to think cases closed there. We preach about God as Father, and of course, we all have different experiences of fathers, good fathers and bad fathers, but God being the good father and us being son and daughters should solidify our view to approach God as a generous and good father. However, when I was thinking about this this week and talking with Becky, who's going to be preaching with me this morning, I just felt this little thing in my own mind as I was thinking about my own children and my own brothers. You see, sometimes we can see ourselves as sons and daughters But sometimes we see ourselves as a second favourite. I'm one of four boys. I'm the eldest of four boys. I'm the shortest, I'm the fattest, and I've got the worst hairline, okay? All the other three look like Greek gods, six foot three, and you know, built massively. And we all have different things that are good about us in terms of our talents and our personalities. And we all have different things that are bad about us. But it's very easy in certain situations when, uh, particularly growing up, approaching my mum and dad, that I would see myself as a second favourite. And being the eldest is the worst. Have we got any eldest siblings in the room? Yeah, okay, so a few hands shoot up. We'll have a group counselling session at the end because we're like the ones that are road tested. I have a youngest brother who's 11 years younger than me and he got away with things that I would never get away with. I was always like the full guy and sometimes we can see ourselves like this in God's view that actually we're just the full guy, we're the second favourite. And this is approached and I think it's solidified when we come to church and we have those times where everyone's prayer life seems better than ours. Maybe we've been struggling in prayer for years about a situation, uh, something that is just really holding on to us and we're hitting a brick wall, we're hitting a dead spot. And then we see someone who's a brother in Christ, sister in Christ, who's been coming to church for two weeks and sees this amazing breakthrough. And they're on stage turn this testimony and everyone's clapping and you just want to throw something at them. The favourite sibling who God clearly listens to more than us. And actually, when you have your own children, or indeed if you are a sibling, it's fascinating because I see things very differently now, being a father myself of three children, an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. And I've said it before, my two eldest are very close together in terms of age. There's ten months between them. You can work that out uh, yourself. Ten months, both mine and Becky's, okay, really, really close together. And what's fascinating about my children is they've been brought up exactly the same. Like they, They've even shared a bedroom for like five years. They do everything together. They're even in the same class at school, everything. But they're polar opposite of parts in personality. Have you ever noticed that with your own siblings? Maybe your nephews, your nieces, your own kids. That you're wondering not so much what went wrong because you love to think different things about them. But how is this possible? You've got this really, really quiet one who does everything studiously and then you've got a bulldozer and you, you're trying to work out how that's happened and actually this is the same when we come to God you see we can get sibling envy when we feel like a sibling is getting all the praise and oftentimes that's our problem not what's actually happening we can start to feel like we're living in their shadow and we try and start acting like them but it doesn't fit and I think if that's you this morning and I know I've had times of that I want to say this God loves us all exactly the same in terms of amount, but he loves us uniquely. He loves us exactly the same. He dotes on each of us, but he loves us uniquely. You see, we all have our own personalities, our giftings. You look at Romans twelve four to 6, it says, We all have the same spirit, but all of us is gifted uniquely and differently. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 uses the same imagery. It says we're all part of one body, but we have different gifts. Well, oftentimes when we look at what we're gifted in, it's sort of diverted and channeled through our personality. If we're creative, usually it's through art or music. Maybe we're really intellectual and we're not so good at the artist stuff, but we're really good at maths or science, and that is exactly not me. But I love this verse in the New Living Translation. It's Paul talking to a church, and he says this, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Other translations says, we are his handiwork. But when you look at a masterpiece, what you'll notice, they've got one similarity, all of them. It's that they're unique. You don't get two of the same masterpiece. You get one masterpiece and then you get a knock-off copy. So loads of people have got the Mona Lisa on their screensavers and in their bedrooms. I want to tell you it's not the original one. It's a knockoff. And actually, when we approach prayer, we can have the same thing. We start to see how other people are being blessed And we look at what they're doing and we try and apply it as a formula to our lives, but it just doesn't work and it doesn't fit. And we think actually the problem is with us. And particularly if you've been brought up in church or you've been around church for a while, churches have different styles of everything and indeed in prayer. So LCF has a way to pray. They look a little bit nuanced, but lots of us pray the same way. And if you don't fit in that category, sometimes you think you have an issue with prayer that you just can't do it or you're not going to succeed. But actually, God might be telling you that your way to pray is completely different to how Becky prays or I pray or, or Tom prays or Mal prays. It's just completely different. And Let me give you a little bit of freedom this morning. I'll put it like this. Comparison is the thief of joy. When you get so bothered about what everyone else is doing, you will find yourself frustrated, dejected and in a pit. Talking about dead spots, the quickest way to finding a dead spot, not just in prayer but in faith, is comparing yourself to somebody else. When you look at that, what they've got and how they're doing, you totally miss your own gifting, your ability, your personality and the things God has gifted and put in your life. And oftentimes he sat there as a good father saying, look, I'm waiting for you to come to me but you're trying to come as somebody else. The mask has got to go. You've got a veil up. You're putting on this mask and trying to be this person when actually I've called you to be you because you are a masterpiece. You're my handiwork. Psalm 139, you've been woven together in your mother's womb. I love the attention in that. The imagery is that God took his time with you with all your perceived flaws and imperfections. It's part of the masterpiece. Now someone who did this really well and got this really well was King David. And if you're familiar with this story, there's a a Sunday school story called David and Goliath. Has anyone heard of that story? Sometimes Sunday school stories are the best and most impactful. You see, there was this giant, this nine-and-a-half-foot giant called Goliath, and he was goading the the Israelite people. And the king was carrying with his soldiers, and Goliath was saying, just send one person, and if you can beat me, then we'll leave you alone. We'll stop invading your land, and it will all be good. But they sat there for days and weeks months because everybody was afraid and then this young shepherd boy comes up and the Bible says he was handsome we've all got those annoying friends haven't we they're just good at everything and they're good looking and he comes up with his little shepherd bag and his bag of cheese for his brothers and he looks at the king he says what's going on here like you've got this this big sort of man ripping you and riling you and actually being offensive to our God why are you just sat here and everyone sort of gets angry at him because of their own insecurity tells him to go away But David goes up to the king and says, look, I will take him on. And Saul thinks, well, it's worth a punt. You know, good king sends out the small boy to do his job. But he says, let me prepare you. And he puts his armour on David. Let me just show you that scripture really quickly. In 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 40. And he says, King Saul outfitted the shepherd boy David as a soldier in armour. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armour. And David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And look at this. And he took it all off. Some of us have been wearing somebody else's clothes for so long and we're trudging along when we're called to run. And what does God say? Take it all off. And then David took his shepherd's staff and selected five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack and with his sling in his hands he approached Goliath. And I imagine David going out with his shepherd's staff and this little bag of pebbles. And the soldier's thinking, like this lad has lost his mind. He's obviously been drinking too many energy drinks, and he's got his confidence up. And he's going out. He should be wearing armor. He should have a sword. He's got no helmet. What on earth is happening? But do you know what? They've been sat stuck for weeks and months, maybe even years in fear of this Philistine army. And with one shot, David fouls Goliath. One shot. Why? Because he was comfortable in his skin. So how on earth does this relate to praying and indeed uh, dead spots of prayer? Well, again, as I've said to you before, this is group therapy for me. So come with me to Costa. Okay. Sometimes Costa is the place where I'll just escape. Um, I won't tell you which one in case you all come and mob me there to get something from me. But Costa is where I escape. And you know, I learn and I'm mentored very much by Pastor Alan. And this was Pastor Alan's trip as well. Okay, If you ever need Alan, don't ring his home phone. Just go and scout the Costas in Luton and you'll find him. But sometimes I just have to get away. I have to get away from being husband or dad at home. I have to get away from being pastor at church. And I just need to be coffee, caffeine, addict and consumer in Costa. And I can open up my laptop and I can get onto my emails, my work. Just do what I need to do in relative anonymity, in silence, just, just getting on with it. And the great thing about Costa is they have free Wi-Fi so you can connect. However, although this is great in theory, sometimes a lot of people have the same idea as me, and they've escaped their small children, they've escaped their spouses, they've escaped their jobs, gone to Costa, and they sort of jump on this Wi-Fi network, and it makes it impossible to connect. So have you ever been sat there in a coffee shop or a McDonald's, and you're just pressing refresh? Just work, just work, just work. And it was at this time I was doing this, desperately needed to send an email to my boss, uh, Dave Campbell's at Regional Leader in Ealing, and it just wasn't working pressing my laptop, refresh, refresh, refresh. And it was going to that annoying page where you have to put in your email address and your passwords, jumping through hoops and it still wasn't working. Refresh, refresh, refresh. And then I had a brainwave. And it does happen sometimes with me. I get a brainwave. I pulled out my phone and I went onto my personal hotspot. My personal hotspot. What on earth is a personal hotspot? You see, sometimes when you can't connect on a public Wi-Fi, whether that be in Costa, Starbucks, McDonald's, or the venue of your choice, your phone provider gives you a personal access provision to the internet. So what I could do with my laptop, I could use my phone as the mediator to connect to our personal hotspot.
1: I feel like you need to tag me in today. It's like we're in a, you know, what are those things where they, they fight?
0: <laughs>
1: what are <laughs> those personal hotspots? So the idea is today we using this as an analogy to kind of represent that we all have a personal hotspot. We all have personal ways that we connect with Jesus. So, however, there's sometimes in church life, or if you've been on the Christian journey for a while, or if you're new to the Christian journey, you kind of watch what's going around you and you think, well, that's how I need to connect with Jesus. And like Mike was talking about. compassion Harrison will be a dead spot in your life in helping you connect. Sometimes we can be so consumed or just pick up the the different actions of what people are doing around us that we never then tap into the personal hotspot, our personal way of connecting with Jesus. You see, Jesus has many ways that I believe he connects with us. And therefore, I think there's many ways that we can connect with him. And in different seasons of our lives, I think it may cause us to connect with him differently. It's never boring being a Christian is it? I was expecting a big whoop and a holler there. It's never boring being a Christian. I mean, if you go to a prayer meeting or a prayer group, let's use this as an analogy, you might go to one prayer space where everyone kind of prays in a similar way. But if you're blessed enough to walk in or hop onto a Zoom meeting where you're in a prayer meeting where there are so many different people exercising their personal hotspot of how they pray, you might end up in a jukebox prayer meeting which I think are one of the best, where you might have some people that have all the eloquent words and they have a lot of words. And I'm not dissing this because I love listening to people that speak properly. you haven't noticed, sometimes I drop words. Sometimes I make words up as well. So I love listening to people that are like, hallowed, our father, our beautiful, awesome, authentic Father, I come to you humbly. And like they've got loads of adjectives and it's so sweet and good. And sometimes what we do is sometimes we think, if I can't talk like that, we then start to have a dead spot of going, well, I can't talk like that, therefore I can't pray sophisticatedly. No, be blessed by the person that is praying eloquently. And then you do you. There might be people in prayer meetings that will say nothing. And you think we've been, I think we've been kind of, put into a corner thinking the people that sit quite quietly in prayer meetings are not really participating. Well, I don't think that's true at all. There are some people that this is just their personal hotspot. There might be people that get really excited in prayer meetings, are like on the go and can't keep still, and there might be people that like to just stay face down. So there's many different ways that we can connect with the Lord. There's, There's one person in our church, and I think she's Fascinatingly brilliant when she prays. When she prays, she starts preaching. I can, like, I can see this hunger in this woman who knows the word of God when she prays, and I get a meal out of listening to her pray. So there's many different hotspots, many different ways that we can connect with Jesus, and we shouldn't limit ourselves in the church at all. And so what we want to do today is we just want to look at a couple of the hotspots that we might have, and just zoom in on them today. I think we're we'll just going to two or three. Two little hot spots and just kind of explain a little bit more. Then in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and maybe do some more if you liked it and found it helpful. So the first hot spot that I want to talk about today is the sensory hot spot. These are people that they can connect with God through their senses, and these might be people that are really artistic, might be people that observe beauty and just feel such a sense of connection, it might be people that love and find it important what kind of music is coming into their ears when they enter a church. These things aren't wrong, this just means that these kinds of people, they feel like super connected and they're very sensitive, and you know... For some of you in here, as I'm explaining this, you might be going, this is exactly me. And there'll be some of us in the room that go, there's bits of that that are me, but not completely. And that's absolutely fine. That's what we want to explore today. So I just want to read this passage of scripture that I found. It says in the Psalms, their idols, this is what the Bible is saying about other gods, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak eyes but cannot see they have ears but cannot hear noses but cannot smell they have hands but cannot feel and feet but cannot walk they cannot make a sound with their throats those who make them are just like them as are all um as are all who trust in them Israel this is the church trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And I think what the Bible is trying to tell us here is that you and I serve a God that is alive and well and firing on all five or six or seven senses it mentioned there. It also talks about the feet and also your throat. And we have a God that not only exercises the five senses, but made and created the five senses that we experience here today. And so uh, let me, just set up for you my personal hotspot of what it looks like for me, my ideal situation of connecting with the Lord. You see, the first one is this, sea, And I think this is really the most powerful one for people, what we see. I connect with God really well when I can see something that is pretty or see something that is beautiful. And so I really love it when I go to do devotions with God. I love it if there's a fresh vase of flowers or something that is just appealing to the eye. You see, this is why we send flowers to people when they're grieving or where they're they're unwell, because beauty can bring healing. Beauty can be something that is so amazingly great for the eye to see, and you can see this vase here, I didn't have a vase this morning, and I just called this great woman in our church, Sharon, Could you go get me a vase or just a jug or something, I can put my flowers in. But of course, Sharon's an artist, and so she didn't just bring me a vase, she brought me a decorative vase, and that's the way that I think Sharon connects. <laughs> and, and for some, for some of you, you're like, they're just flowers. But some of you in here, you're like, I'm having a spiritual experience with the Lord. I can see that this is a bit of creation. Some of you, you feel a sense of God much more when maybe you're out on a mountain or by the ocean, more so than what you would do in, confined in these four walls of the church. And that's fine. that's kind of verging onto someone who their personal hotspot is a naturalist. I get that wrong sometimes. <laughs> naturalist naturalists. They're people. That's another hot spot that I'm not going into today. But it's kind of like people who just, they just sense God so much when they're out and about in nature. I'm sometimes too lazy to get out. So if I can just see something through my window, I'm good. What I can see with my eyes really helps me. And not only beauty do I want to see, I want to see order around my home. See, when God created the earth, he also wasn't just doing it with beauty. He created order. I like everything to be done. I like the dishwasher to be humming. I like the wash machine to be going. And I know that everything is completed in my head. I don't want to see crumbs scattered and popcorn everywhere on the floor. I like to sit and see just such a lovely, beauty scene that relaxes me and for you your relaxation scene might be something different but for me I'm good with just a tidy house that helps me connect with the Lord you see I will follow on Instagram people that just take videos of cleaning up their house and making it look amazing and organizing laundry detergent and I sit back and go That is so beautiful. It really connects me. See, I don't like housework, but I like homemaking. I like someone taking a little patch of mess and organizing it and beautifying something that was really boring and mundane and just making, I don't know, pens look really nice in a pen pot. That's me. And I feel such a connectivity with the Lord when things are kind of looking that way with my my eye. See, some people like to go to an art gallery and just have such a powerful experience of looking at art some people like to go to the opera and that art, the sound that comes into their ears can really provoke something within them. But like I said, there's some people that are like, it's just painting. And that's fine as well. I think it's important that we don't slip into worshipping the art or worshipping my tulips. No, they're there to help me a pathway, to help me connect to the one that created these things. And I think there's a big difference, but that's okay. The second one we have is sound. So when I'm setting up my personal hotspot, I like it to be tranquil. Mike's going to help me with this. Set the scene for how I like it to be when I'm connecting with the Lord. I like Baby Shark to be on mute. I like the TV to be down. I don't like there to be anyone at the door. I just like peaceful sounds. And for you in here, you might be a sensory connector. But for you, the sound might be different. So even where we might meet each other being... Very sensory in touch. But even then, your type of sound may be different to mine. Like in school, do you know the people that used to have like heavy metal going through their ears as they were revising? I thought that was a genius how people can do that. You might kind of connect with God with a different sound. But for me, it's this kind of sound. I like the albums where they have no words on them. And it's just so peaceful and calm and just lovely. And then there was, there was like a composer who said this. Let me flip over. To, do you want me to do it? He said that this is a composer called Handel. I didn't know who it was, but Mike knew straight away because he's the musician. And he said there were like heavenly keys that he would use um, through his chords to provoke certain feelings. So for example, G minor. This would cause a sense of urgency or jealousy or E minor which would provoke lamenting or sorrow or G major that kind of gave you this kind of feeling that there was sunlight and green pastures and then F minor which gives you the sense of gloom and despondency. It's amazing to see how sound doesn't manipulate us, but it can help cause us to have a greater connectivity with Jesus. Is there anything you wanted to touch on? Because you're a musician, so you know this stuff a little bit better.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, when when it comes to I think mean, when it comes to to senses, so senses is ultimately our emotion, our sight, t- touch, smell, and sound. So it's very, very easy to get caught in emotion. And particularly when you see uh, in the church, so particularly the Pentecostal church, of which we're one with we're a happy-clappy type, we hear about a revival in America or Canada, and, and we jump on a plane and we go and chase it, and so often we can, uh, we can be led by emotion. And that's not wrong to go and see God moving. But when we're only led by emotion, we neglect devotion. See, emotion and devotion, they sound the same, but they're very, very different. See, when Becky and I got married, I wasn't doing it on emotion. Because I tell you, if it was on emotion, I would have been long gone by now. Okay. <laughs> emotion is about how you feel. Devotion is showing up even when it doesn't feel, sound, smell good. So we need to be a people, disciples of devotion and not emotion. Thank you very
1: much. All right, another sense. Let's move on to our next sense here is the sense we know through taste this is one of my favorite ones and often you know whenever i can have an excuse to bring a loaf of bread to a meeting i will but i am um, i love taste and, you know, it's fascinating to me that Jesus, he would often connect with people around a table, breaking bread, sharing meals. Sometimes we don't need to go to a prayer meeting, you know, that's just not where connectivity is only. Sometimes we just need to get around tables, break bread with people, make time to have good food and to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I love communion. I remember my first experience, Experience of communion when I was a little girl in Sunday school and we wouldn't partake in communion whenever it happened because sometimes we'd be in, the different, in a different place as the children but uh, when I became a Sunday school teacher I was like whenever the church are doing communion let the kids do communion as well because they're missing out but you know how I did communion is after the service I'd go up to the communion table and I would see a whole massive loaf left over just a pinch was taken from it and loads of little bits of My and little teeny cups were left over. And I got so excited. And so I'd take the loaf. I think I had permission. Then I'd go settle down on the floor, on the church floor somewhere and start to go at the loaf. I think that's where my love of fresh plain bread started. And I would love it. And then some of the other Sunday school kids would catch on and come and join in with me. We had such a party. And you know, it wasn't about the bread. It was my connectivity going, communion reminds me of how awesome Jesus is. Communion reminds me of his sacrifice. And it brings me so much joy. And it was because of the joy set before him that he took the cross. And I just have this early memory of indulging and loving um, communion and still understanding what it meant. You see, just because we have fun with something and we enjoy doing a practice doesn't mean that then it's not spiritual. That was my first, um, see, uh, my first experience of communion. However, sometimes as I got older, I would begin to struggle with communion in a corporate setting because back in the day, sometimes I wouldn't be able to just go up and have my little feast. Sometimes there would be one cup going around the building Now, I was COVID savvy before there was COVID. And I would see that happening and start to like... Almost vomit in my mouth. Going, are they going to give me that cup to share? And I'm, if anyone enjoys that, that's fine. But for me, I'm such, I was, even as a little girl, I used to Google how many germs are in a sneeze. Like I was that child, and I would just, I would get so distracted. I'd be like, oh, this isn't the way that I see communion. And then we'd get, you know, the bread come round, and someone would take a little crumb of bread for me. And give it to me whilst I've seen it kind of swivel around their fingers a little bit. And I was like, this is not the communion that I started off with. And it began to distract me a little bit. And the person next to me be like, you're not being very holy, stop it. And and you know what, there's a part of me that needed to just, you know what, calm down. This is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And then even now with, with COVID, we've kind of flipped to these little cups with the wafers in them. And the kind of, I don't know what the juice is that we consume. But even now as an adult, I'll be sat here going, you need to lead by example. Your congregation are watching. How do I do this? I don't have to actually swallow this wafer bread, but Jesus is about you. And you know, it's such a holy moment. And, but sometimes, I can, because I'm such a sensate, because I get like a sensory overload sometimes with some stuff, it kind of takes... Like, it's a little bit harder for me sometimes to connect in those scenarios. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to communion. It's that I hold communion as being this great remembrance, this great activity that we do together. So I'm just passionate about doing it well. So I wouldn't be surprised if I summon back the fresh bread at some point in our church. You know what I would say tonight? If I had my way, everyone would be having a slice when we share communion. But I know in corporate settings, we have to adapt so that we can do these things together. But this picture up here is, um, and also we we think communion is sometimes something just for in the church, but actually communion is something we can do at home. If you're online, we'll often prepare you, get your communion ready. And this is the communion that me and my kids, we prepared when we were at home on Good Friday um, service when we were in lockdown. And I just, I was like, oh yes, this is my moment to go to town with how I want to do communion. And I just love the taste of the bread. And I love how it reminds me of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I love that this is an experience that God taught us, Jesus taught us himself to do through using the senses of your taste. Before he went to the cross, one of the last things he did was said, break this bread. Taste and remember. Taste, I think, was such an important thing to Jesus in helping us connect with you. Mel, go give someone that bread. If you can find Raymond, give it to him because I know he missed out last time when I had all the bread. There he is. He's ready. He's hungry. There we go. And then the next sense that we have, and I'll do this one quickly, is smell. Mike, if you just pass me that. When I set up my sort of connection hotspot, I love there to be a candle or like diffuser or something that just smells amazing. I'm hypersensitive with smell. If someone has... Dropped milk or a liquid a few days ago. I'll know about it. I can smell when something's off. But just like I can smell bad smells, I, can, I just really love it when there is a nice smell that fills the world. And I made my own diffuser last night, I know. But I didn't really. I just, I just, you know, I just used some stuff in the kitchen to make stuff smell nice. But I love smell. And I love how it connects us to God. In the Bible, we hear about, we read about, how people would like incense. And we sing the song, don't we? Night and day, let incense arise. And it was like as the incense was arising, the prayer and the connectivity was going to the Lord. And we even heard a few weeks ago when Mike was sharing about the woman who took the alabaster jar and she took all the perfume and immersed Jesus in it. And people looked at that and was like, that's weird. But for her, that was her showing Jesus, this is how I'm connecting with you at this moment. I'm connecting with you through smell. And it's important to acknowledge that in the old, Testament people they would burn offerings as a way to gain approval with God, but because of Jesus, you don't have to burn no incense, you don't have to burn any candles, you don't have to sacrifice any animals in order to get acceptance with God. No, now what you can do is light your incense and be like, Isn't this lovely? Because Jesus, I just love you, you've already got approval with Him. And the woman who went to His feet with the perfume, she wasn't doing it, I believe, to gain approval with Jesus, I think she was doing it because she just so adored him and so loved him and sometimes when you go out you put your best perfume on so when we come to Jesus and when we come to connect with us let's use our smell to connect with him and then the last one is touch and touch you just have a think about the couple of things that you know feel really good to you for me it's like fresh sheets clean carpets things that are nice to sit on anything you know warm blanket. And there's some people that they will carry um, uncomfortable things with them. There's, I think there's a guy, Gary Thomas, is that his name, who, we, um, who, the, who wrote the book Sacred Pathways. Who a lot of He talks a lot about connectivity with Jesus in this way. And he said he'd put a nail in his pocket so that every time he would feel it and touch it, he'd be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And I just want to make this point. Do you want to go on to a point now?
0: Yeah, you can... So one
1: of the things I think is really important to mention before I come off this point is that when you are someone that connects really well with Jesus through senses, you have to be, like I described there, some of the points where senses were actually my barrier to connecting with him. We have to be careful of dead spots within those things. For example, we can be perfection-driven sometimes when we're sensates, when we are, have a hot spot of connecting with Jesus through our senses. And we have to be careful that we don't let those things that are supposed to help us connect, be a barrier to us connecting. So I, I've painted for you today a picture of my ideal situation to connect with Jesus. However, this is not always the reality. If I have a video for you of what it looks like the majority of the time in my home. And there's times that it doesn't look tranquil, it doesn't look ideal But you have to remember that Jesus said he doesn't look just with eyes that are natural. He looks at the heart. And sometimes I have to close my eyes and go, you know what, Lord? I'm going to connect with you anyway. Yes, I'm super sensitive right now. and This is really distracting and the sounds around me are distracting. But I'm going to press on. Because for Jesus, he was a deep feeler as well. The second thing that can be a barrier is we can sometimes let our emotions run the show. And if you are a deep deep thinker and a deep feeler as well, sometimes we have a lot of emotion and that's not bad, but it isn't helpful when we let it lead. So, for example, you cannot stay in the theatre or the opera. You can't stay in this moment at church and take the keyboard with you as you go to work. You have to go to these places, get inspired, and take a piece of these places away from you. I don't get to have this picture all the time, but I have to take a piece of that place with me and not be stuck in just the emotion of, well, I made the commitment when everything was ticking my box and everything felt emotionally right. See, when Jesus was in that garden, he took the cross he felt deep feelings he was sweating blood it was not the ideal situation it was not a beautiful situation yet in that moment he said God not my will but yours the cross though Jesus was beautiful and though we proudly wear a beautiful cross as Christians the cross was also brutal And in that moment, he goes, yes, I can feel so deeply what's happening to me. But I see the people, I see the sons and the daughters that I'm doing this for. And he still connected with Jesus. Sometimes when you feel things negatively and if you are a sensate kind of person, you'll feel things more deeply. But when we're feeling pain or grief or things that are distracting and uncomfortable, maybe the Holy Spirit is maybe wanting to do something deep within you to connect him with him.
0: I'm going to save my point till next time. I'm just looking at the time. Uh, but I think, I think let's just go with that. You know, when we come to church, we don't come to church just to be downloaded on. We don't just want to hear something and go away. I hope, particularly as pastors, as preachers, as communicators, as worship teams, everything we do here is to help us in our relationship with God, both uniquely but also corporately as well. And I just want to jump back onto that thing of devotion and emotion because we are a, a culture who really values the senses and it's very, very easy to skew out into into deifying some of these things, you know, making this the main thing about how I feel. And when, we, when we're connecting with God, God is wanting to plant seeds in our life that come to fruition in the soil of emotion, uh, the soil, sorry, of devotion and not emotion. You see, when we plant things simply in emotion, they will come up just like the parable of the sow with Jesus. They'll come up, but they'll very soon fade and we'll jump onto the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the thing is when a plant comes up, And it gets moved out of different soils, different soils. You damage it every time it's moved. It never has the the space and the awareness to to, to sort of grow and develop as it is. And, And particularly when we look at the church, we come to church, no church is perfect. I think someone famously said, if you go to a perfect church, you're going to mess it up because you're imperfect. Every single one of us has some amazing things about us. And every single one of us has flaws and imperfections as well. But if we are only driven by our emotions about how we are feeling when we come to God and about how God makes us feel, we're not disciples at all, we're consumers. Disciples means to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. And for a few years, I was an apprentice. Before I was a preacher, a pastor, I was a structural engineer. And before I was a structural engineer, I was a hairdresser. Now, you wouldn't know that now looking at my hair, but I was a hairdresser for about three years. And I apprenticed under different hairdressers. I I had to sweep floors for a year watching how people cut hair, blow-dried hair, did foils and colours, how you mix um, sort of hair dyes, which sounds really simple, but you need like an A-level in science, getting the mixtures right in hair dyes. But to apprentice is doing a lot of unseen work. It's not just the glory stuff about doing the things that everyone sees and congratulates you on. It's about doing your homework and, and really doing some rubbish stuff as well. My, my title, I think, for the first six months was Chief Tea Maker. So I can make a cracking cup of tea because that's all I was doing. It wasn't directly involved with anything I wanted to do. And sometimes this is the same with being an apprentice to Jesus. We focus only on what Jesus can do for us and how we feel and all the good things. But actually, when we do the daily stuff of life, we think we're failing because we encounter trouble. And I've said it many times from this platform. Jesus never promised us a perfect life. He actually promised that we would face trouble we don't often preach about that or teach about that or hear about that. But our hope as disciples is that we would be evergreen. By that, I mean we will produce fruit in season, but we will be evergreen. We'll be evergreen. I think it's Psalm 1.3 it says, We will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears fruit in season, but our leaves remain evergreen. So we will have times that are fruitful and we won't produce fruit all year round and that's okay and that's normal and that's part of being a disciple but when we get caught up in this thing of it's only about our emotion about the goosebump songs that we get you know we sit down when there's a song we don't like we jump up and raised when there's a bridge we do like and I just want to give you permission this morning to lay down some of your doubts I wonder if you can stand with me going back right to the beginning talking about David and Saul and putting on armor maybe you're unfruitful not because you've um, done anything wrong, but because you are trying to wear someone else's armour. Maybe you're looking at the palm tree, but you're trying to plant it in Luton. You're not going to have much planting a palm tree in Luton. You'll have different things planting a daffodil. It's seasonal. Times come, times go. But I want to give you permission, as I said, to lay some things down this morning. And let me read this psalm over to you. I was just thinking on this psalm as Becky was speaking. As, as love children... You're not a niece, a nephew, a granddaughter, a third cousin. When you come to the Father, you find your pathway to connect with the Father, Him loving you uniquely and you loving Him back uniquely. Think of these words. One of the most well-thumbed and well-known Psalms, Psalm 139. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. I love this. Listen to this. For you created my inmost being; You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes the offensive way to God is approaching him with a mask on as we said right at the beginning. Trying to be something we're not. We looked at this a little bit last week. We looked at the Psalms, and actually the Psalm is this massive, wide breadth of a book with different prayers and really raw and honest prayers. And we're going to go into our last song now, our last two songs. But this first song, um, it starts like this. It says, here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. And we've got no particular response. We only got through one hot spot. We'll revisit that. But maybe you're in church this morning and something within you is just tugging a little bit and and somebody within you is thinking, actually, God, I'm struggling with you at the minute and where I'm connecting. Actually, God, I'm not quite sure my identity and and if I'm being honest with myself when it comes to you. And maybe you just want to come and find some space in the front here or in the the aisleways. and, And as we sing this, we sing this as a prayer, a declaration. Say, here I am to worship completely unashamed with our past, with our future, with what we've been doing, what we're not. Here I am, God. It is just me and it is just you. Thank you, team.